0: will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning everyone and welcome to our in-person service and welcome to those of you who have returned after a long, long absence. We're so glad to have you with us. And of course, those of you who are watching at home, we're so thankful that you can join us online today through our live stream service. Without further ado, would you now join with me in bowing your heads and ask for the Lord's blessing as we hear today's word. Father, we ask that your grace and your mercy would be upon us in spite of the continuing challenges that we face. Lord, we know that we can be full of fortitude and full of of stubborn hope because our great God is our faithful Father. And Father, you know the circumstances in which we find ourselves in even now that can be so tempting for us to fall into despair and hopelessness. But Lord, we ask once again by claiming the promises of your word, most preeminently through the words of your son Jesus, that we can come before you with such valiant faith knowing that our faith is not unfounded, that our hope Is not without substance, but instead that we are standing on sure footing on solid ground so that no matter what we face, no matter what we must endure, you will give us the strength and you will give us the inspiring hope to live faithfully and obediently. And so, God, until we see some sort of relief, some sort of refuge in the context of this virus and the pandemic or in all things that come out of it, let us stay firm in hoping in you. And may it begin yet again on this day as we hear your word. And so, God, would you please bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So if you've been coming to our in-person service since we opened back up, you might have noticed something. You might have noticed that Pastor Charles and Hannah, our administrator, uses their laptops prior to and even during their worship service. And if you take a careful observation to their laptops, you would know that they don't use any ordinary laptops. Oh, no, no, no. They use Apple laptops. Apple. You know that computer company that has as its icon the forbidden fruit that was bit into that caused the downfall of mankind, original sins, and all the pain and misery that we're going through now? Yeah, that Apple. Well... Unlike them, I don't use Apple products. My laptop is a PC, a Dell to be exact. And this difference of computer preferences has at times created some tension, some trash talk between myself and they. But if this revelation causes you to feel unsettled, uneasy, worried as if the staff of your church is divided or disunified, let me assure you now that is far from the case. We are doing fine, folks. In fact, we're doing more than fine. We're doing great, evidenced by the fact of the wonderful collaboration that goes on every time we work together. You see, we as a staff understand that we're all part of the same team. We're all trying to fulfill the same vision because we're all part of the same church. But what we find so often in the church, we find noticeably absent amongst churches because instead of finding the same collaborative spirit within, we tend to find more often a competitive ambition without What's that? Yeah, it's true. Let me explain what I mean, but first let me say we're continuing, actually, we're finishing our sermon series on the core values of NCF, where the whole purpose of this series was to consider the fundamental convictions that we have as a church that clarifies the priorities that we have as a ministry. And today, we end this series by looking at the very last core value that we have as a church body. And that, of course, is the core value known as City Movement or what is sometimes known as collaborative partnerships. And if you find those phrases unfamiliar, let me read you the definition that you can find on our very own website at www.nyncf.org, again, www.nyncf.org and if you go on our church website you'll come across this definition of what I mean by those phrases quote we believe there is only one church of Jesus Christ and every local church including our own is a particular manifestation of it therefore to further impact of the to further the impact of the resources our local church has been given we strive to work with other churches and parachurch organizations to bless our city through a movement of Collaboration. End quote. This is our conviction as a church. We believe God has called our church to partner, to work with, to collaborate other churches, other Christian organizations, so that we can create a positive movement that impacts the surrounding environment we find ourselves in, which in this case is New York City. And as we take a look at our passage for today in Mark chapter 9, here Jesus is going to teach us the proper attitude we must have if we want to be successful in this endeavor known as collaboration. I want to talk to you today about the collaborative attitude, okay? So with that in mind, three things I would like to share with you from today's passage. First, we're going to talk about why the collaborative attitude is needed. Then we're going to talk about what the collaborative attitude entails. And finally, we're going to end it with how the collaborative attitude develops, Why it's needed, what it entails, and how it develops. Let's begin with the first point, why the collaborative attitude is needed. Read again with me just the first half of verse 38 where we read the following. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we try to stop them. Okay, come on back. Here we read that the disciple John informed Jesus of something that he and the rest of the disciples did, presumably while Jesus was not around. And what do they do? They try to stop a man from exercising demons in the name of Christ. Now, when you first hear that, you wonder, what in the world are the disciples thinking? Why would they try to stop a person from doing something so wonderful, so important, like freeing another person from demon possession? You would think that the disciples would encourage such behavior, but instead, they're discouraging and trying to stop this man from doing this important work. Well, we don't have to wait long for the answer because in his very next breath, John tells the reason why they did this. In the second half of verse 38, we read, because he was not following us, or as some translation puts it, because he was not one of us. And there it is. The reason why the disciples try to stop this man from exercising demons in the name of Jesus is because he was not part of their group. He was an outsider. He was not part of the inner circle, and therefore, in their mind, this man had no business. This man had no place. He had no right to be doing anything in the name of Jesus because as far as they were concerned, that privilege, that right was exclusively theirs and theirs alone. Now, on the surface, from our perspective, this comes across as being optically not so good, right? It's like, sorry, John, sorry, 11 disciples, this is not so good of you to do. Now, here's the thing, though. When we consider a previous incident that happened prior to this one, we come to find that from Jesus' standpoint, this is not merely a not-so-good moment. This is not simply an optically not-so-good situation. No, this is terrible as far as Jesus is concerned. Why? Well, let me show you by reading to you of this earlier incident I'm referring to. Starting in verse 16 of our very same chapter, it goes like this. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into violent convulsions, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And when Jesus saw the crowd of the onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, listen, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Turns out the disciples could not do what this man, who in their mind was not authorized to do, was able to do. They could not cast out demons. Now, I want to pause for just a moment and let what I just said sink in. These are the original disciples of Jesus. These are the pillars of the universal church today, some who have written the inspired word of God itself, and yet they could not do what this unrecognized, unknown, and therefore unimpressive man could do. And when you understand this, then you come to understand why you, why me, why our church must have a collaborative attitude because, simply put, We cannot do it all. What I mean by that is no individual, no church, no denomination is capable of effectively reaching and ministering to everyone around them. Let me say that again. No individual, no church, no denomination is able to adequately and effectively reach out and minister to everyone around them. If the original apostles couldn't do it, then for sure we cannot do it. And this is something that I feel like as a church we really need to grasp because I know you guys— I know you love this church. You love NCF, and you should, because this is a great church. And God has done great things and continues to do great things through us. But here's a newsflash. We're not the only great church in the area. And we're not the only community to which God is doing great things. And the moment we forget that, we begin a pathway that eventually undermines our very purpose, which is to bless the world, and we get closer and closer into becoming a community that isolates and insulates ourselves. Back when I was in college, there was a quote-unquote church near our campus that was rumored to basically get college students to come to their church, and they basically disappear. You know, all of their friends never hear from them again. All of the former college fellowship that they were a part of, never hears of them again. Even their own family members can't get in touch with the people who are now part of this church. And the reason why the church behaved this way is because they felt they were the only true church. They felt that they were the only church that God was going to bless and use. I remember one week I was on campus and members of this church came and approached me and my friends and other acquaintances that we were hanging out with. And one of the leaders approached me, and as he could tell that I was serious about my faith, he said, you know what? You've got to come to my church, and my pastor needs to baptize you. And when I told this guy, um, I've already been baptized, thank you, you know what he said to me? He's like, but that's not a valid baptism. I was like, what are you talking about? Why isn't it a valid baptism? Because it's only who are baptized by my pastor, those are the ones who are truly saved. The moment he said that, I was like, "Uh, dude, I am saved. I'm a Christian. Thank you very much. And then he says this. You may think you're saved, but the only way you can truly be saved is if you get baptized by my pastor. The moment he said those words is when I started to walk away from him. Sadly, some of the acquaintances who were with me by my mutual friends, they joined. Never seen, never heard of them ever again. Again because that's what churches like this do. Churches who have this mindset that they're the only game in town, that they're the only community that God uses, will isolate and insulate themselves because they don't want to get corrupted by these other churches that think they're also used by God because they carry this air of superiority. They don't want to get tainted by these other corrupted churches. And as a result, they isolate and insulate. But meanwhile, all the cries of need, all the cries for help surrounding the community of church, never gets answered because that church refuses to collaborate. Now, by saying all this, I am not in any way implying that NCF is a cult. Far be it. But I'll tell you this. The moment we entertain this notion that we're so special, that we're the only game in town, that we're the only true church, that God is doing something here that he would never do anywhere else, you're one step closer into becoming a cult. And the only way you can avoid going in that direction is by taking this first step I am imploring all of us to make when it comes to this overall attitude that we must have, and that is we cannot do it all, and we need to collaborate, okay? If we want to make a true impact and therefore fortify ourselves as a true church of Christ, we must accept the fact that we can't do it all because we're not the only true church, Once you have taken that step, you're ready to move on to the next step that further solidifies you with the proper attitude of collaboration. And to tell you what that is, I go to my next point, what the collaborative attitude requires. Read again with me verse 41 where we read, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Here's a question for you. Who in your mind would be more impressive? A person who can cast out demons Or a person who can give a cup of cold water? You don't have to answer that question because I already know what your answer is going to be. It's the same as my answer. It's the dude who can cast out demons. Duh, right? I don't know about you. I personally don't know anyone who is capable of casting out demons. But on the other hand, I do know hundreds of people who can give cups of cold water. In fact, it's probably more accurate to say I probably know thousands of people who can give cups of cold water. But at this present moment, I just can't think of them right now because, quite honestly, giving cups of water is so common that I never notice it, which is simply another way of saying I never appreciate it whenever I receive a cup of cold water. But thankfully, what's true of me is not true of our God because Jesus says that when a person gives a cup of cold water as part of their service to God, God takes great delight. He is so blessed. He is so honored by such a contribution that Jesus says that God rewards such people. And not with some cheap, cheesy reward like it's a consolation prize, but a great reward. I mean, notice that Jesus makes a promise that those who behave this way, their reward will never be taken away from them. Why would Jesus make a promise if this reward was some consolation prize, something that a person who received it could care less if it got stolen or if they lost, right? Now, it's at this point you're wondering, what is any of this, pastor, have anything to do with this discussion of collaboration? Well, let me answer that question by asking you another. Why do you think churches today don't collaborate either with other Christian organizations or with other churches? Why? If that question comes across as a little too abstract, let me reask it again in a context that's more familiar to you. And, of course, I'm thinking about The group school projects. Ah, yes. Do you guys remember those? The group school projects. Do you remember how you were in high school, like in your civics class, you were forced to do a group project for a crazy percentage of your final grade, like 35 or 40 percent? you remember those group projects? And do you also remember how you made sure you didn't partner or collaborate with certain students in your class? Remember how you avoided those students like the plague? Why? Why did you behave that way? You know why either because you knew their contribution was going to be minimal or insignificant or your contribution would be minimal and insignificant. You see, you had to be very smart about who you collaborated with group projects on because you didn't want to partner with someone who was dumb, but you also didn't want to partner with someone who made you dumb, right? In other words, you wanted to make sure that you didn't collaborate with someone who had nothing to offer to you, but conversely, you didn't want to collaborate with someone who made you feel like you had nothing to offer to them. And that is why, friends, So many churches don't collaborate. Because in their standpoint, collaboration is no benefit to them or they might feel that they have no benefit to the collaboration. And so they keep to themselves. And yet with that in mind, Jesus says we need to consider what he says here in verse 41 with this whole discussion of a cold cup of water. Because remember what I said a moment ago. Jesus says anyone who sincerely contributes to the work of the kingdom, no matter how trivial, how mundane, how seemingly insignificant... God will be greatly honored. And when you realize this, you come to a startling understanding. And you know what that is? Jesus does not want to be, excuse me, Jesus does not want us to be self-conscious in any way. In other words, Jesus does not want us to be concerned about how we're going to be seen, how we're going to be perceived whenever we're in a collaborative setup whether it be seen with a loser organization or being seen as the loser organization ourselves. In other words, Jesus does not want us fixating on ourselves whatsoever in the context of collaboration to determine whether or not we're even going to do the collaboration in the first place. Why? Because he tells us. In order to have the proper attitude of collaboration, you need to have the proper mindset. And that proper mindset is self-forgetfulness. According to Jesus... In order to have the right attitude of collaboration, you must have a self-forgetting mindset. Now, what in the world is a self-forgetting mindset? Well, consider this definition from Pastor Tim Keller. He says this, Humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. End quote. Self-forgetfulness is self-forgetting humility. And according to Jesus, that is what is required. That is the mindset needed. If you want to have the proper attitude towards collaboration, that allows you to do true collaboration. You need to stop thinking about yourself in any way whatsoever. And if you think about it, it makes so much sense. Because who should you be thinking about when you collaborate with other ministries and other churches? Shouldn't you be thinking about the people you're benefiting, the people that you're trying to serve through the collaboration? And yet what so often happens, sadly, is most churches and the individuals that make up those churches focus on themselves on the collaborative effort, evidenced by the many selfies, Instagram posts that they put up while they're on short-term mission trips or doing their community projects. People use the collaborative effort to promote themselves rather than promoting the collaborative effort through themselves, you see? By the way, just a quick relevant tangent, this is how we have decided as a leadership to determine whether or not we will collaborate with a potential partner. If we ever got the feeling that a potential partner we could collaborate with could result in them feeling more impressed with themselves or more insecure with themselves, we don't want to go through with it. We don't. You know why? Because we know that if we did, their focus is just going to be on them, whether it's a positive self-arrogant boastfulness or a self-loathing, oh, woe is me, I'm so inferior. We don't want to deal with that drama. We want to work with people who can stop thinking about themselves, stop thinking about us, and together, collectively, focus on those where our attention needs to be on, those who need to be blessed and helped and ministered to through the collaborative effort. You see? Okay, quick tangent over. Going back to the point of hand. Jesus says that we must have self-forgetting humility if we truly want to have the right attitude that results in true collaboration. But let's be honest. Who amongst us here can say with a straight face that we have this kind of self-forgetting humility? I draw your attention back to the question I started off at this second point. Who are you more impressed with? The person who can cast out demons or the person who can give a cup of cold water? See, when we think about who we're impressed with, that says a lot about the condition of our heart, isn't it? It shows that you, that me, that even our church We lack this very humility that is required. And as the pastor or one of the pastors of this church, it is so heartbreaking for me to confess, and yet I can't deny it. I can't deny the condition of the spiritual stability and structure of our church because when I think about where we could be and where we are right now, it just doesn't seem to fit. And if you're unsure of what I mean, I want to read to you a quote from A.W. Tozer as he described the condition of churches back when he was alive. Listen to what he says. Quote, Were the church a pure and spirit-filled body, wholly led and directed by spiritual considerations, certainly the purest and the saintliest men and women would be the ones most appreciated and most honored, but the opposite is true. The noisy, the self-assertive, the entertaining are sought after and rewarded in every way with gifts, crowds, offerings, and publicity. The Christ-like, the self-forgetting, the otherworldly are jostled aside to make room for the latest converted playboy who is usually not too well converted and still very much of a playboy, end quote. Tozer wrote these words over 60 years ago. That's over half a century ago, and yet it's as if he could have written these words yesterday about churches in America, including our own. Clearly, something is off. Something is not right. Something needs to be fixed. And the question is, how do we fix it? Well, that leads me to the final point, how the collaborative attitude develops. Read again verse 39 with me where we read. But Jesus says, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able to afterwards speak evil of me. Here Jesus tells us how we can develop this self-forgetting humility. He says it's by identifying yourself in your relationship to Jesus. You see how he says that this unnamed exorcist was doing his work in the name of Jesus? That's Jesus' way of saying that this man identified himself in the context of his relationship to Jesus. Now, if that sounds a little confusing, let me use this illustration. Before I married my wife, Sarah, she was Sarah Kim, right? But the moment she said, I do, she became Sarah Bay. Her very identity changed in the context of my relationship to her, right? She identified herself not simply as herself, but in the context of being my wife, I as her husband, in this bond of covenant union, Okay? And that's exactly what Jesus saying this man did. This is why Jesus says that this person could never speak evil of him. Just like my wife would never speak evil of me and I would never speak evil of her, this man would never do so because he's identified himself in the context of his relationship to Jesus. And the Bible makes it clear. There's only one way a person could identify themselves this way. How so? Through the gospel. The gospel. What is The gospel. The gospel is the message that says God could literally do everything by himself. He could effectively reach everyone, bless everyone, minister to everyone without any need of assistance, any need of help, any need of partnership or collaboration. He could do it all perfectly because he is the one and only true God. But here's what's so startling. God decided not to do that. Instead, he graciously invites his people to join him in his marvelous work of blessing the world of salvation through the work of collaboration, through the work of missions, through the work of evangelism, through the work of discipleship. But here's the thing. For God to do that is inviting trouble upon him. Because who are we? We're like the person in that classroom who no one wants to do group projects with. We are spiritually impoverished. We're spiritual losers. We have nothing positively to contribute, to add to what God is doing in the world. And as a result, all of this status of us being losers, failures, pathetic folks could be impugned on God, which in fact it was when he came into the world as Jesus Christ, where he suffered the most humiliating, degrading death, his death on the cross. Here's the question. Why would God do this? Why would God put himself in this kind of situation when, first of all, he didn't need to do it. He doesn't need to collaborate. And second of all, he is nothing like us. He is not a failure. He is not a loser. He is not pathetic of any sort. So that you would know two things. Number one, he loves us with a forgiving love. A love that is so great that he's willing to pay the full payment, the full penalty for all of our sins as our Savior substitute through his death on Calvary's hill. And the reason why he loves us with such a forgiving love, number two, is because his love is a self-forgetting love. Jesus did not consider how loving you would come back on him. He didn't think about how he would be perceived. He didn't think about what the consequences would be. He didn't think about, about how people would see him, whether as a loser, as a pathetic person, He didn't even think about himself. He came right in focusing only on you. He loved you with a self-forgetting love that is willing to forgive for all your sins. When you understand this love, and most importantly, when you receive it, that love will change you. That love will inspire you to become more like the one who originates that love. You will be more and more self-forgetting, and it will... Completely change your outlook in life including your attitudes including your collaborative attitude you see the only way that this church and the members of it can truly exhibit the proper attitude of collaboration is you must believe the gospel you must believe the love that compels and powers god to love us the way he does in the gospel you see but here's the question do you believe that gospel Have you been changed? Have you been altered? Have you been transformed by that love that permeates and empowers that gospel? If you don't, you are headed in a pathway that will lead you into a cult-like situation. If you do, you become part of a community that collaborates with others like-minded like us that creates powerful impact and tremendous blessing to a world that needs it. The question is, Which are you going to choose? I pray for the sake of this world, you'll choose the gospel all the time. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the call to collaborate, the call to be part of a movement, we ask that it would always be inspired and only inspired by our hope and our faith in the gospel. For Father, it is only in the gospel that we have access to the power that allows us to have the right attitude of collaboration. It is the power of your love that makes us so self-forgetting so that as we come together to work with other like-minded churches, our focus will not be on us, it will not be on them, it will be on those whom you've called us to serve and to impact with the hope of Jesus. And so, God, as we continue to move forward as a church family, Father, help us to truly have this collaborative mindset, an attitude that is inspired by your self-forgetting, amazing, forgiving love for us. We ask that we could embody this love as it's evidenced by our willingness to walk alongside, to partner with, and to collaborate with our brothers and sisters from different congregations, different organizations, so that we can truly be a blessing to our beloved city that we call our home. Father, we pray that you would enable us to do this, for we cannot do it ourselves. Hear us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're now going